Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on Skype September 10th, 2016. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. We've had a few weeks off, there's been some trouble in the neighbourhood, there's been some shooting. People may not know this, I'm the vice president at a local neighbourhood association, so I've been delivering flyers and gathering folks together for community meetings, stuff like that. Not a lot of time for trains, unfortunately, but that's all going to change now. I'd like to welcome one, Mike Devrell. Mike, how are things in your part of the world? Well, they're doing a little better, and it sounds like, than your part of the world, but <laughs> uh, busy, very busy. Mm. Um, the railroad is uh, going at... Uh, uh, maybe a little slower pace in the visual side mm-hmm. of it, but uh, definitely a lot of wiring. We started a little scenery here a couple weeks ago, and so uh, kind of been busy doing that. And with my new job position, just haven't had time for a lot of videos, but I'm hoping to get one out in the next week or two. I was going to ask you about that, actually. I guess it's been summer for a lot of people, so I didn't want to uh, draw too many conclusions. But in terms of the video update, what kinds of things are you going to be including? Well, you know, like I've said before, wiring tends to be a little boring to watch, so we're not going to be doing any of that. But um, I did start some scenery, uh, doing some wild grass, um, prairie grass for the most part, and I've got about uh, about a one by three foot section completed, mm. or at least good good enough to uh, present to uh, a video of. And I thought I'd do a how to on how to do field grass using static grass you know mm-hmm. a lot of people when they use static grass they use all the same size and so Certainly. i thought i'd show them how to mix them up and create that uh, that look of some prairie grass you're familiar with it out where you're at too i'm sure oh yeah oh yeah but you're doing prairie grass in bulk so i mean your technique is associated with covering large areas with static grass any secrets you can divulge before you film the video anything for people to look forward to in the video well i think the biggest thing is um you know, what we see a lot of times when we see a lot of, of static grass being used, it's very monocolor. And uh, Marty uh, uh, McGurk and me, when we met up in Portland, had an opportunity to kind of talk and share some ideas. And Marty gave me a couple of ideas. And so basically, uh, I've been uh, going to the crack store, otherwise known as Scenery Express, <laughs> yes. and buying <laughs> buying static grass in bulk in different color sizes mm-hmm. and just uh, so when i'm doing it i i literally just grab handfuls of different styles you know the color is what i'm looking for mm. and, but but also the size so because i'm doing fall i have a little green but most of it's more of a brown and the yellows and those type of shades so it's turning out really good i'm really excited about it so um, I'm looking forward to sharing that. Uh, hopefully we'll get that out pretty soon. But uh, like I said, it's just been very, very busy. I, I took a new position in my company, and so that has caused me to travel uh, exponentially. So, mm. But uh, does that mean also more, without divulging too many secrets here, Mike Deverell, does that mean that you're seeing more of the U.S.? Are you traveling internationally? What, what kind of stuff are you doing? Um, mostly in, uh, the Northwestern corner, mm-hmm. including Colorado and Utah. So it's given me plenty of opportunity to do a lot of rail fanning and I have done a lot of that. Um, and it also helps me in, you know, even doing my own layout because I'll take photographs and going, Oh yeah, that's what I'm looking for right there. Mm. So it's, it's been really helpful to, to kind of do that. 
not internationally. It's it's kind of nice because I've taken a step down from a high pressure job to a much more relaxing job. Cool. Just I travel a lot, so mm-hmm. uh, it gives me an opportunity when I do come in. I work for about 10, 15, 20 minutes when I'm at home, or unless it's a, a weekend, and then I I pretty much work banker hours from nine to about four. <laughs> <laughs> mm. on the layout and then uh and then sit down and plan a lot of stuff but that's kind of what i've been doing i've got uh, i don't know if you saw i have uh, both uh, the panels done for jmri Same. and that's what i've been mo- working the most on is is making the turnouts and everything work like a switch watch so that when i have operations when it says that it's normal it's in the normal position if it says it's in the throne position it's in the throne position so that's a lot of what i've been doing very cool very cool looking forward to the video update in terms of other model rail related stuff have you seen any local layouts or didn't done anything interesting um i went to i don't know if i shared with you i was in denver and i got to see uh ken glover's layout uh, which was absolutely, it's a shelf layout, uh, L-shaped, probably, oh, eight foot by four foot, uh, maybe two feet wide on the L-shape. And, uh, it was really a really nice layout. It's, it's kind of interesting to see that and had a, had a time, uh, spent some time with Ken just enjoying myself. And Ken put me in touch with another gentleman, um, that has an, an absolutely enormous layout in uh, in I believe it was in Loveland. I was in when I went mm. to go see it. It's been a couple months now. Okay. The layout is probably mm, eight hundred feet by sixteen hundred feet. Huge, and uh, probably I would say uh, a good eighty percent done. So it was really rather impressive. So I've, I've had that opportunity to go out and see those type of layouts. And I, I can't remember John's last name, but uh, I really enjoyed the, the time I spent with him. And he's modeling uh, more of a modern style. So that was a lot of fun just to go see him. Very cool. So, um, so that's what I've been doing. Very cool, Mike Deverell. Well, we've got a few folk on the show. You know how to do it. Stay, uh, stay on the call. And if anything comes up, we need to bring you back in. Please, uh, please do come back. But uh, always a pleasure chatting, and thanks for calling in. Thanks, Tom. We'll talk to you later. I'd like to welcome back on Jamie Fenton. Jamie, since we last had you on, you've been doing some pretty interesting things with your layout. For folks listening in, would you like to give an update? Okay. Well, I can't remember what I said the last time or how much... uh uh, change, change has been. I mean, Jennifer has been continuing to improve the scenery. Mm. Uh, is the essence of what she's in. In fact, it's almost the first, we're almost ready to declare the first pass of everything done, which would be uh, you know kind of special. I mean, in the sense that there isn't any, there isn't much that that hasn't been done that needs to be done. I think maybe uh, working on the ground cover uh, near where the bridge is is about the only problem we still have left. Do you think anything else, Jen? Oh yeah, that well that back area. Yeah, so this is sort of the back area, which you can't really see, <laughs> is now pretty much done, too. That, that'll just be easier easier to do when we, when we flip the thing around. Yeah. And there's, there's the interior uh, in, the, in the town of Katy, some, some stuff in there. And then, yeah, like Jamie said, that first, uh, first you know, stage of it will, will be more or less finished. We've gotten rid of all the cardboard. Very good. So all the cardboard mock-up stuff is gone. And, yeah, it's, 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 it's looking good. It's, it's really... Uh, a, 
more and more fun to, to run trains on. Yeah, the, uh, the next thing I'm thinking about is how we can do better lighting of the railroad because at the moment we just have some lamps that are, uh, you know, we'd like to maybe, you know, mount some lights on the ceiling and have some way of dimming them and things like this. So we're, that, that's one of the things I've been pondering. <laughs> I don't know if, uh, if, if there's been some great answers to that problem. Uh, uh, you know, certainly you get light emitting diode lights, which are kind of cool. And I think some of them can even be dimmed. Certainly. But, you know, yeah, we, so that, that I'm thinking about doing next. But otherwise, as, as Jen was saying, we're pretty much, I would say, feature complete on uh, version 1.0, <laughs> something like that. In terms of operation, the layout lends itself to potentially being computerized as well. I know we talked about that at some stage. Have you thought any more about potentially you know, operating two or three trains by computer control and then having human operators for maybe one or two other locomotives? That's certainly possible. Uh, the one thing that the railroad needs to do that it doesn't do, it's essentially got um, two reversing loops and a long main line that's been folded over between them. So it means that every time the train comes, makes a lap, it has to throw one of the switches to you know, join up with the loop. So it, it essentially means that you, you need to have some sort of feedback so you know that if the train was coming on uh, the side of the loop where which has not been switched to it, that you can go throw it so that it mm-hmm. happens. And one of the problems with this layout is it turns out there isn't an easy answer to that because there's been more than one way. There's several different ways you can set up a loops at each end. So you either have to have several different ways of doing feedback back sensing or, you know, some, some, some way of closing the loop, which is um, uh, the, the, the thing that sort of always perplexes me when we think about uh, computer control is that you w- want to know where the trains are and you want to, um, you know, not, not just, you know, so something simple like just putting in a, a photo cell to sense when a train's coming through in a particular way is, 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 is only going to cover some of the cases. Certainly. So. So, 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 you know, so there's sort of that pending, pending problem, but you're right that we could, you know, so we are using DCC and I've, uh, uh, I guess I've not seen any, any way of, of knowing where the trains are, uh, that I really like. <laughs> I mean, there's things where you can try, try to sense the current draw on blocks and so forth, which then now suddenly makes everything complicated again. Um, gosh, I wonder if you could like, put a big video camera up and do image recognition on the railroad. <laughs> Anyone's ever tried doing that? <laughs> I've been playing around with all that kind of stuff for the day job, but uh, that, that's just being fanciful. No one's created augmented reality model rail quite to an extent yet, but yes, there's p- potential there, I think. We might have discussed that, actually, when uh, Jim Gifford and Ros were in town, I think. Maybe. Yes. We discussed yeah, a lot so- of things. Oh, I, I would love to have a scheme where I could go uh, somehow record a model railroad and then view it in VR. Because one, one of the things I want to do is we, I go to this hackers conference every year in, in Santa Cruz. One year I brought a bunch of Cato HO scale stuff and we sort of set up a railroad on tables and it was lots of fun. But we actually thought about taking this railroad as it is, which of course would be a little bit of a problem because not everything's glued down. But uh, it, it certainly is, is, is within the size range that we could take it. So that's one of the things we, uh, I don't know if we'll get, get around to be doing it this year, but maybe next year. <laughs> we'll get, get it so hardened that it can actually survive being uh, moved that way. So, yes. uh, yeah, so, I've, um, so, so obviously one answer would be if you, if you couldn't move the physical layout, could you move the virtual layout, come up with some way of capturing it as a, um, you know, 
using multiple cameras and so forth and getting it because there people do that with um, uh, uh, oh, they, they use special cameras that have um, you know gyroscopes in them and stuff so they can actually wander around the house and capture the interior of the house and convert it into some sort of a, a VR model. <laughs> Maybe we could do that with the trains. But anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll, coming soon. So yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll keep at it. Uh, well, we'll put some new pictures up of the Carolina Pacific, and is that a, a lot of the stuff is is uh, that that we're working on now is is smaller. It's getting we're getting to the point of working on smaller detail stuff. So um, you know, just little little areas like the Moda Bonita station is uh, is is starting to look up and uh, and how it interacts with the engine terminal in the yard and yes. it's it's really it's. Uh, Yes. Now, well, one of the things uh, well, I have a friend of mine that has a startup company it's called Panga, and what Panga is designed for is for making, uh, I'm going to say, smart annotated photographs. So you can take a picture of the railroad, and then you could click on, you know, like an image map. You can click on different places and get a zoom in, which you know. So it's just it, you know, people used to do this with HyperCard a long time ago, but this makes it really easy to set up. We actually had a Panga made for the Pasito right. Southern Railroad. And so that's another project we might do that will get uh, make it a little easier for people to see some of these things that Jennifer's done. Very interesting. Hmm. Yeah, looking forward to so, that. I, I'd say that my 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 enthusiasm for for NN three now is at a really uh, really high level after visiting the Cumbres and Toltec last month. So what's what's an offer within that in terms of modeling? Like, is there Not a single damn thing? Nothing really. <laughs> I mean, I, Microtrip has got a few cars out of. Nearest mm. I can see is you get a Z-scale micro consolidation Certainly. and you, you, you wank a, uh, a N-scale tender and cabin boiler on it and do your best. I think, uh, I've, seen, <laughs> I think I've seen on Shapeways, actually. You might want to check out Shapeways because I think there are examples on Shapeways of people that have, like, locomotives that, as you say, can be plopped the, on top of uh, Z-scale. The 3D, 3D print thing? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we, we would, I would love to see somebody 3D print, say, Kato Track with special uh, <laughs> special stuff. I'm sure somebody in Japan must be thinking about this. <laughs> I think you can get I think you can get Z scale flex track, so you can probably make modifications to the Z scale flex track accordingly. Yeah, we could do yeah, that. I, I think but, yeah, I think doing making dual gauge would be would be quite a challenge, but I think hmm. it'd be worth doing. I think uh, <laughs> it'd be worth actually somebody manufacturing it. Well, since you've nearly completed your layout, this sounds like the next logical thing, right? So, yes. But I, I, was, I can't tell you how impressed I was with the... Uh, I mean, the, the whole the whole trip out there on Amtrak and back was amazing. Mm. But the CNT really blew my mind. I mean, it's it's an example of what I would say is a very modern steam railroad. Yeah, you know, right. it's 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 really impressive. Yeah, they, they, those guys really did get their act together in every way. Um the, all their equipment's been rehabbed and painted. The, uh, they've replaced lots of ties on the track, and it's, it's really beautiful. Uh, they even have plenty of like little souvenir things. We went and used the parlor car, which is an extra fare thing, and hmm. we got you know, kinds oh, of different yeah, little really uh, nice. yeah, <laughs> trinkets and stuff. So that's, that is definitely not to be missed. Very cool. So, anyway. We were we were just enjoying watching watching somebody steal a package from your porch. <laughs> <laughs> That's always fun. That's always fun. Yeah. I, I was really laughing at the guy illegal dumping because he managed to get get rid of the trash, but he tried to like get it get the thing in there, and then I just think, well, you might as well just leave it. But, yeah. Oh. Welcome to my neighborhood. I've already been narrating that the reason we haven't had model rail radio recorded for. 
the past month or so is due to the recent spate of shootings and homicides and various other things in my area. So good to bring oh, the uh, topic oh. down. So anyway, <laughs> moving on, Jamie, Jennifer, always a pleasure to talk to you both. Please present yes. continued updates. I'm really interested in seeing what you do with N-Scale Narrow Gauge. That sounds like something worth spending your time there, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Well, maybe we'll get the Ponga going first. That's probably a little more likely. Mm. <laughs> I was trying to do a Tom Sawyer thing. Oh, I see. Get other people, inspire yeah. other people to do all the work, yes. <laughs> Very good. Very okay. good. Take it easy, Tom. Yeah, take Pleasure care. chatting with you both. Please down the line. I'd like to welcome back on Mikado Otter. I noticed recently that you posted on your YouTube channel a signal out in the wilderness. Well, actually, looked like it was probably in your backyard. What's been going on with your model railroading? <laughs> yeah, it is. What's been going on with you? Yeah, I've been uh, doing a lot of other things. I've been, I'm actually currently working on some resto stuff, some restoration projects right now, and uh, there's three of them that I'm very looking forward to. Without further ado, what are these three? Um, one of them is something that a lot of people don't see every day is an old three-track sign that says that has the cat lenses in them, the cat marbles in them, where the uh, reflectors are in the embedded in the lettering. You ever seen those before in your days? Tell us more. Well, uh, they started manufacturing these. Uh, Western Railroad Supply had manufactured this one, and um, and this actually came from a guy in Wisconsin. And he's a major collector himself. He's got actually the funny thing is he's got so much stuff that he has two houses to keep all of his signals and memorabilia all together. And uh, he lives along uh, a Chicago Northwestern main line and he gets a lot of his stuff from there. And uh, he gave me two signs and I bought a bell off of him from as well, which is also what I'm working on as well. And it's actually older than anything that I've ever even owned. How old is it? Uh, I don't know exactly how old it is, but it was manufactured by a company called Railroad Supply Co. Uh, it was the company was founded from in eighteen eighteen ninety eight, and it and then it changed its name to Western Railroad Supply in nineteen thirty two. So I don't know exactly when this bell was made, but it is it's actually uh, an older version of the famous and very well known collectible bell called the Western Railroad Supply or WRRS Mini Bell, which is one of the smallest mechanical bells ever mass produced in America for uh, railroad for railroad signals and railroad crossings. And they're actually very rare to see right now today in service. There's just over a dozen of them in service still. And in terms of volume, how loud are these bells? Mm, that was one of the problems. They weren't really that loud, and uh, railroad people uh, or railroad workers would uh, crank the voltage up to make them ring louder, and that causes the bell to uh, pretty much self-destroy itself. So finding one in really good condition, working properly, is very scarce. So literally they would put more voltage through, they'd be hit harder, and eventually they'd shatter? Yeah, they would. Uh, well, actually, the, the indentation where the hammer hits the gong it would uh it would st it would get deeper and deeper until eventually it will go all the way through or the uh screws uh the screws inside of it a lot of the screws on the on the western road supply mini bells 
uh, are made of brass, that which actually makes the bell very interesting. But the bells that were made by Western Railroads probably were made of cast aluminum. The one that I have, surprisingly, is made of cast iron, which is which kind of dates that it was made sometime before. Yeah, it was made sometime between uh, sometime in the nineteen. 1900s to 1930s at least i don't it doesn't have a date on it but the the neat thing that i like about the bell that i have is that it has somebody's initials in it when they repaired the bell it was repaired and um it was repaired april 1857 so the bell has been at least been repaired once by western railroad supply at one point and did they, I mean, how would you repair a bell like that? Did they weld over it and polish it down? Or what was the repair? What was the nature of the repair? I think they replaced the internal units and internal guts inside of the bell because stuff like that would wear out over time. Uh, that that would probably be my guess. But uh, eventually I am going to go over a video on uh, how the bell is going on. I actually, That's the only uh, little bleed uh, sneak preview of that I have the bell. And uh, it's got a nice history thing to it. And then there's also the third thing that I'm doing a restoration project on. And a lot of people really love this one. It's a Model 15A USNS uh, crossing bell. And the best way to refer to it is that it's the Union Switch and Signal teardrop bell. Interesting. So it's actually physically that shape. Yeah, the it's, the actually the heavy, it's actually the first mass-produced crossing bell that's ever been mass-produced in America. And the very first one that has ever been mass produced and has been sold off to railroads when they started producing them, the first one that was made was made February 20th of 1917, which is actually going to be its 100th anniversary next year, even though there isn't an anniversary for this bell. But it is the design of the bell is over 100 years old right now. So in terms of the teardrop design, did that make it like acoustically louder than the other bells that you repaired or... What's, it's actually the, the loudest. It's actually the loudest mechanical bell that I own right now. It even has this little door inside of the bell that you open up, and it makes it and it, it makes it actually louder, which is wow. really cool. But I don't know what my neighbors are going to feel when they when I put it up on my signal when it's done. Yes. Hmm. And one interesting thing is is that it's 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 massive. A lot of people don't even know how much these things weigh. As a matter of fact, I had a guy. Uh, who's a railroad employee from Union Pacific, he saw some of my railroad crossing signals that I had that I did not restore, and they made a comment on there, and we were emailing back at each other, and I traded my crossing lights for the teardrop bells, so he paid. He, I shipped them out to him in California, and then he shipped the teardrop bell out to me. Wow, so it was a trade. It was a it, well. He paid for everything. I didn't. I only had to pay for the shipping out with my lights, and then he paid me back. So I literally paid nothing for it. Wow. So physically, how big is it? Is it like two feet long, or how big is the the teardrop bell? It's it's maybe about maybe a foot wide, but if on its little uh, adapter cap that goes to that fits on a four and four and a half inch pole, with it on top of it, it's a little bit higher than my kneecaps, which has to be just about twenty three inches tall. Gosh, it's huge. Gosh, wow. These, I mean. There's less than 130 of these Union Switch and Signal teardrop bells in America left and still. There's just a couple, there's just about a dozen of them in California right now. There's actually this website, uh, there's actually this website that shows how many teardrop bells that are known to be in service still. There's only four of them or three or four of them in service in Illinois right now. Interesting. And the teardrop bell is actually my number one favorite bell. And 
most it's actually it's one of my most desired bells that I wanted. I've been searching for this bell for over 10 years and I could have not been more luckier to get it. It's from a guy who actually I mean he I mean he was the one who wanted to do the trade and I was saying, "Oh, I was saying about it. I was looking for bells and everything and then I told him that my favorite bell was the teardrop." And he's like, "Oh, I got four of them." And he literally made my day when he said that. Wow. I mean, he gets a lot of his stuff for free from the railroad. He's got so much stuff in his possession, he's got so much bells in his. He has a pickup truck that is so full of bells that it broke the suspension on the back of it. That's how much he's got. Yeah, I'd imagine they'd actually be quite heavy. I mean, what you're describing here, just in its size alone, fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, there. I mean, it's just amazing that I I have a lot of connections with people that have stuff like this before, and uh, he's got some stuff that I'm a little jealous about, but I'm happy with what I have right now. But my main concern about doing some restoration projects is that some of the stuff that I have uh, fixed up before, especially what I'm going to be doing now, has paint that has lead in it, which mm. is kind of a concern with me a little bit. <laughs> yes, don't be licking those bells. Don't be <laughs> licking those bells. Well, my plan is, is that I'm going to have somebody sandblast them for me, which is really good. And then I'm going to smooth them out and like fix some holes and little dents in them and uh, probably uh, uh, hide them out and make them look good again. Mm. So... In terms of your collection now, let's call it what it is, do you plan... I mean, obviously, you mentioned the neighbours. You're in, like, suburban Chicago, right? You've got neighbours yeah, all around I'm in, I'm in a little village in, uh, in a little village outside of Chicago. Right. So, is the plan to wait till the reindeer come out, so at least you give some benefit to the neighbourhood and then run the bells? Or are you just going to be doing it in such a fashion i mean i guess your neighbors must know you already based on the yeah my next door neighbor was not very happy that i was putting it up as long as i don't do it all the time Mm. but uh she's happy that i'm doing it and i'm and she's as long as she's happy that i'm happy about it yes well okay if you can negotiate with your neighbors these kind of hobbies i guess can work out and (laughs) it's not like you have train (laughs) horns or anything right that actually brings up something else i was at Uh my hobby shop a couple of a couple of weeks ago and i was in there for 10 minutes and i come walking out and i just happen to glance off to my right i stop back up and they have a train horn on the floor and i'm like saying like when did this come in and i'm like um or i mean the the uh the owner of the store bought the horn at a this locomotive horn from a diesel from a garage sale yes they're available on the open market i mean certainly via mike slater who's also on the call we'll be talking to him in a few minutes no doubt there seem to be yeah, it, like you know, it, a lot of people with them. Yeah, it blew my mind that there is a horn that is in my favorite that is in my favorite configuration, which which is a Leslie horn. But I'm I, it's either an RS3K or it's a Leslie RS3L. If it was an RS3L, it's one of my most favorite horns because it's Conrail heritage mm-hmm. and it's got it's got that nice sound to it. But if it was BN, I wouldn't really care because it's my favorite railroad. And I I asked him, is this thing for sale? And I'm like, yeah, you want if we want it, it's five hundred bucks. And I'm like. You kidding me? Five like five like horns are like thousands of dollars, and they're like giving like they're literally giving it away. But I kind of decide to pass on it because there's nothing that I can really do with it. But really mm. upset my parents because they're gonna they're gonna think that I'm crazy for buying a horn, yes. and I have really nothing to do with it. But I just want to look at it. Very good. Well, I mean, if it stays in the hobby store, maybe not on the floor. But if it's yeah, in the hobby I'm, store, I'm, then well, even if somebody if even if somebody does buy the does buy the horn. I'd be happy with them because it, I would be happy for someone else to go and get it because uh, I got some friends that have horns that I like as well. Very good. Very good. So in terms of model railroading, 
Have you seen anything recently that's piqued your interest? Anything that's on your radar associated with stuff that's coming out either recently or will be coming out in the future? Yeah, I am excited and I'm still waiting for Athern to release a BN SD40-2 that's in the Bicentennial paint. They they actually announced that engine last year at the Milwaukee Train Fest. Mm. And by the end of this year, in December, they'll have the engine available. And that is on my priority list of must-buy. It's a beautiful locomotive, actually. I think Model Railroad, uh, if I'm not mistaken, had it in its most recent issue, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they actually released this engine back many years ago, and once that was announced, and it was in, and once that engine was announced, it, uh, and then as soon as it hit the hobby stores, I went on Athern's website, sold out within a couple of days. Oh yeah, no, I and can when see I why. saw this announcement, it sold out again because yes. bicentennial stuff just goes right out the door. Yeah, it's interesting actually because irrespective of like the collector value, a lot of people now are building layouts in that time period, and yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm doing that as well. But um, the only <laughs> other engine that I am missing is the STP40, which is the passenger engine that BN had at one point. I have the U30C as well, which is a custom painted model that I got at the uh, uh, model railroad show on model hobby show that was on tour that came to Rosemont. Many, I think last year I got the engine. I paid like forty five bucks for the engine, which is not mm. too bad. No, it's pretty good. Pretty good. And I even bought an I even bought a BNSD forty two from Athern and had to do some uh driving driver worm gear modifications to it, but it's it it runs pretty good. Very cool. Very cool. Well I'm looking forward to more videos, particularly associated with this teardrop bell. And yeah, please stay on the call and if anything comes up, Ben, you know what to do. Yeah, thanks thanks Tom. Thanks for having me again. Take care. like to welcome back on Mike Slater. Mike, what's been going on with your model railroading hobby? Well, uh, one of the things I've been working on is building a new module for the three-rail old-gauge layout, which I got most of the framework all built, and on the lower deck with where the three-rail line L-trains will run through, uh, that I actually got track laid, and now I just have to uh, get a check out a few things which with how to wire it up correctly so it works with all the other modules uh another thing that i also started building uh a buddy of mine uh has been buying up uh, a few of the northwest traction modeler uh group modules mm. now acquired five modules and Gosh. uh i asked him well do you have standards uh on how these modules are built and he emailed me the, the standards and um I've built uh, two frameworks for that module standards to get in a little bit more of my trolley modeling. And in fact, one of the modules I built where I have a, a 90 degree uh, diamond in it where uh, one path will be the Northwest Traction Modelers and then the other direction will be the HL Skill Primo. Very cool. Um, so one of, one of the things that uh, I've been discussing with my one buddy in that, uh, which he has no objections to, is the Northwest Traction Modelers, which... Uh, East Penn Traction uh, modelers also use pretty much the same standards. Uh, is that their their layout from the floor to the rail height is 36 inches approximately, mm. and the Fremo is 50 inches. Certainly, but with uh, their the way that they do their legs is it's uh, uh, three quarter inch plywood sandwiched in between the the modules on the Northwest Traction modelers, 
And I told them, all all we have to do is drill a couple of holes and put in some two-by-two extension legs to uh, bring it up to the 50-inch rail height. And he goes, oh, I have no problem doing that to my uh, end plates uh, or his legs and that. So um, so hopefully in future setups we'll have both uh, uh, steam railroad and electric and urban lines uh, running across back and forth. Very cool. And also, the summer months tend to be rail fanning, or I mean, you're never not rail fanning, Mike Slater, but you seem to be doing more rail fanning through the summer months. Have <laughs> you caught any interesting trains? Um, I don't know if any of them really would be interesting, because it seems like um, nowadays it's the, the same old stuff uh, on the railroads. <laughs> it's just trying to get to different photo locations uh, that I hadn't been to before. Uh, a couple of locations I... Uh, eventually one of these days I, I want to model the Wisconsin Central mm. uh, between uh, basically the state line of Wisconsin up to Nina, Wisconsin and uh, this about last month I took a couple of days one with one buddy and another and with another buddy and we uh, rail fanned uh, along that chunk of the railroad and uh, did hit some locations that I never stopped and rail fanned before so uh, some of them really are nice easy locations to get to and uh so there'll probably be future stop locations again to the rail fan otherwise it's just uh getting together with uh uh so far i've been down at galesburg twice this year hmm. uh rail fanning once early in the spring with uh a couple different buddies and then uh uh at the end of june we had uh i think there was about 12 rail fans in this one house that uh, we know the owners that uh, he loves to stay at the house and very cool so we, we had a good old time with, with that uh, but as far as interesting uh i'd say probably the most interesting uh train that i've probably seen so far this summer was the nickel plate 765 steam locomotive mm. uh when that ran between uh, chicago and janesville wisconsin on the uh wisconsin southern short little regional railroad uh, so that was probably the first time a big steam locomotive had been on that trackage since the the days of the Milwaukee Road, mm. which would have probably been the 1950s. Very nice. So was it the Wisconsin Central that you're interested in modeling at some stage? Yeah, well, I have so many different modeling. I understand, but I'm just more interested about this particular line. I'm not putting you on the yeah. spot here, Mike Slater. No, it's not an no. accusation. <laughs> No, the uh, Wisconsin Central was a regional railroad in Wisconsin mm-hmm. that uh, operated from uh, uh, 19. Well, I think it was about, they started in 1988 and they went all the way through about 2002 before the Canadian National mm. acquired them. Interesting. And they they were really famous for having the lar- one of the largest SD45 uh, diesel locomotive fleets. Interesting. Uh, in this country, probably the the only railroad that would have had a larger fleet uh, would have been the Santa Fe. Certainly. But the Wisconsin Central they had, I believe, was about 120 SD45s on their roster. And, and they, were, they, were most of those acquisitions, or were most of them built specifically for the Wisconsin Central? No, they would have all been uh, secondhand locomotives by the mm. time Wisconsin Central acquired them. So there's a lot of different railroads. So you had when you get into modeling, you know, you really need to know uh, the heritage of the, the diesel locomotive. If it was a X Southern Railway, if it was an X Santa Fe, if it was XBN, hmm. uh, so you could have the proper 
uh, rough details on the locomotives Certainly. and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, no, the the SD forty five locomotives were built in the uh, uh, late or uh, late nineteen sixties. So by the time it was kind of the central got um, they were already at least the class one railroad of the SD forty fives because they considered them fuel hogs. Certainly, the, the twenty cylinder prime movers. Yeah. So. The uh, Wisconsin Central actually took them, derated the horsepower, uh, got rid of some of the issues they had out of them, and uh, had a really nice running fleet. Uh, so if I ever do build a, a permanent home-type uh, layout, <laughs> it, it would be based off the Wisconsin Central just because the the number of models of WC locomotives I have, I probably have at least a minimal of 25, 30 SD45s in HL scale. So. Mm. Yeah, the demuscling so. of a train. That's a very interesting process. Like, you know, reducing the horsepower of the train. I guess the gas hogging part is obvious, but still, yeah, it's an interesting idea. And what kind of industries were on the Wisconsin Central? Well, actually, the uh, probably the biggest industry uh, that the WC had was the paper industry. Mm. And that would be one of the reasons why I would model up to about Neiman, Wisconsin is you at least had a couple of paper mills up there, uh, on the, uh, Southern end, like through Burlington, which is nearby me, you had, uh, uh, Nestle chocolate. So you had mm. a, a big chocolate plant, uh, also in Burlington, Wisconsin, you had a, uh, glass factory that made, uh, makes glass bottles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was other odds and end industries. You had an industry in Waukesha that makes uh, uh, large transformers that sometimes have to be shipped out on heavy-duty rail flats. Yeah. And you also have quite a few uh, printing companies, uh, Quad Graphics being the one of the biggest. In fact, uh, Quad Graphics is the, the print house that prints all the Kambach publishing magazines <laughs> and... Uh, a lot of other well-known uh, magazines that you'd probably find on newsstands are all printed at uh, Quad Graphics. Interesting. Very interesting, Mike Slater. It sounds like a interesting group of industries. In terms of a paper mill and this kind of stuff, do they grow pine for paper in the area, or do they get the paper pulp from elsewhere and just own them? I'm interested in this as an industry that folks might want to model on their layouts. Well, the, uh, the northern part of Wisconsin, which Wisconsin Central... Uh, ran basically through almost the whole entire state of Wisconsin. The northern uh, uh, part of Wisconsin sometimes is referred to as the northern woods of Wisconsin, and it's a heavy, heavily forested area. So you would have a lot of your your pulp uh, wood and that coming from uh, Wisconsin. I would also spe- suspect a lot of wood also came from Minnesota mm. for for the paper mills. Interesting, interesting. You'd have industries that would move the timber in. But would that typically be by road, or would that also be by rail? A lot of times by uh, rail. Uh, you had uh, uh, your wood product would, would have been shipped in uh, two different ways. One would have been uh, where the the wood was cut into logs, and they were held uh, shipped in by special flat bulkhead flat cars that had uh, big steel stakes along the sides, and those would have been known as uh, pulpwood flats. And then uh, another way that the uh, wood would have been shipped in, sometimes you'd, especially more from uh, sawmills and that, would have been the uh, wood chips. And those would have either been shipped in by boxcar 
where they would have had paper doors or where they would have blown the wood chips into it, or you would have had the real tall uh, guns that were as tall as a box car uh, mm. that was known as wood chip uh, cars. Certainly. And you would have shipped your wood chips in that way. Interesting. Interesting. Ah, so now all you need is a permanent residence and you can start building this layout. Yep. <laughs> I I have, have the house drawn up that would house the layout so Very good. i just have to, that's a start. Just, have to, just have to win the lottery yeah that's nine tenths of the effort right drawing up the plans yeah. for the house yeah <laughs> the house the house would look like a standard milwaukee road depot too <laughs> very good very good interesting interesting so in terms of your clubs in terms of anything else so uh, when tra- train fest is in november am i right in that yep second week of weekend in november um, if anybody's, uh, planning on going this year, uh, if they live in the, uh, the Metro Milwaukee area, I believe there's also a shop in Madison, Wisconsin that sells early sale tickets. Mm. Uh, get your early sale tickets. Cause, uh, uh, I, I heard that early sale tickets, I believe are $12 a ticket and it's $15 at the door. Very cool. Very cool. Pass on my uh, regards to David Karkowski if I don't speak to you before then. Oh, I will do so. Very good. Pleasure as always, Mike Slater. Um, in terms of anything else, listening to the shows, anything you want to raise, any topics of interest that have piqued your interest recently? Uh, nothing I can think of offhand, but uh, maybe it might be time to try to see if we can get those that are interested in trolley modeling to mm. come together again. I know you had one er- early on in the show's history and that you had an all trolley uh, get together so maybe a call out to the trolley modelers call in let's let's talk uh, juice definitely well i think chris abbott was behind that and people have been asking after chris i see him periodically on facebook it's not a conspiracy but hopefully we'll get chris abbott back on and he'll be able to uh, to re-energize the trolley modelers to call in passionately because yeah a number of those guys actually we had on for a couple of calls and then kind of dropped off and obviously yeah it'd be wonderful to get those guys back definitely definitely mike slater yep. well pleasure as always please stay on the call if anything comes up you know what to do talk to you soon take care i'd like to welcome back a day present dave are you currently planning a trip to Poland, or have you just come back from Poland, or are you in Poland currently? What What's the status of this Polish adventure? Uh, let's see. We are leaving right after my Thursday operating session next week. Cool. And you plan Not that on that doing was by some, design. You plan on doing some rail fanning while you're there. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I usually go in the winter, and uh, I'm told by some that the sky can be blue, in that part of the world from time to time. So we're going to get out in a rental car and uh, dodge trucks on two-lane roads. And um, we're going to go to the primordial forest that's on the border with Belarus. And we're going to try and stop at some Polish narrow-gauge sites on the way back and and from. So that's the plan. I'm reading a lot of badly Google-translated Polish pages (laughs) trying to figure out where the best places to stop are. And then Andy uh, Dixon had a couple good pointers, too. Yeah, no, Andy seems to know, if he hasn't been there himself, he seems to know someone who's done some backpacking in almost all of Europe. <laughs> and I think his caravan adventures probably puts him in contact with other folks. I was particularly interested in this forest because certainly in my part of the world, in the Bay Area, 
the redwoods that we see are all new growth. The old redwoods mm-hmm. are like like one tree that, you know, they accidentally forgot to cut down or maybe escaped <laughs> somehow. In terms of this particular forest, how humanly untouched is it? Well, it is supposedly um, fairly untouched. I, I haven't been there. Mm. Um, it's, it's, um, it's, it's supposed to be the last old growth forest in Europe that wasn't... Uh, you know, too badly decimated by man. However, the caveat is that, that there's apparently are or were narrow gauge lines that ran through it. Mm-hmm. So it can't be completely uh, <laughs> unadulterated. Yeah. Um, from my perspective, you know, it's a, a narrow gauge line is that that's an acceptable amount of uh, human intrusion. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yes, I'm always a little skeptical of uh, untouched by human hands areas of the world, mm-hmm. particularly. I mean, when you look at that part of the world, so many people have been through that area one time or another, uh, you know, from Romans through to uh, present day. It's, it's a really bad place to pick for your country, actually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like setting up a tent in the middle of an intersection. <laughs> yes. You'd, you'd be wanting to sell postcards as people went backwards and forwards <laughs> and backwards and forwards. But interesting stuff. So are you just going to Poland or in that era or are you, are you touching other parts of Europe in your travels? Uh, this trip is strictly just to Poland. Uh, we're going to see uh, some family and, mm-hmm. uh, and do some sightseeing. So that, that is the plan. In and out of Warsaw from JFK. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so the part of the world that I've always wanted to visit. And certainly we have a few folk from that part of the world who post periodically on Model Rail Radio, particularly some very interesting photos of uh, overgrown trackage and things like that. So fascinating stuff, Dave. My anticipation is that you'll be posting some photos to Facebook. I'm sure that will happen, I promise. (laughs) It's actually, any photos I post will be uh, Joanna's because my first reaction when I see trains is apparently just to put put my phone down and listen and watch. She's the shutterbug. Very cool. Very cool. So in terms of your home layout, I've seen various, I don't know what one would call them, teasers associated with the potential that you might be doing some work on it. What's been going on there? I have been in full build mode uh, since the middle of the summer. And, uh, you know, I was I had been going down a little rabbit hole with controls and signaling and LCC and all Mm. this sort of stuff. And I said, that will be marvelous. But first, one needs track to put signals and remote control and JMRI on. So uh, I set all the high technology stuff aside and uh, took out the rail cutters and the uh, Dynaplex caulking and started laying track, which is what I've been doing, wiring it up. Uh, I've got I the the yard that's now in its third location is now wired up and functional again. Mm. Um, as I speak to you, I am uh, laying down some temporary drill tracks so the yard can work properly as a yard. Cool. Um, so, yeah, what I uh, I would really like to have uh, at least some of the guys from the – model railroaders from the area over to see what's going on uh, just because i've been blabber- blathering on about it in public for so long mm. have, have, have a visitation session and hopefully uh then after that i'll get some car parts and waybills and at least try and operate on the section that i have done and yes. shake down yeah no the the possibility of operating on your layout seems to be a a pretty close you know i mean are you thinking by midwinter possibly 
that's that's a reasonable goal. Um, Very cool. I'm, I'm involved in a round robin group now uh, after going to an OPSIG event uh, last year, and and so I really kind of caught the bug, and I realized that you know having people over on, on a regular basis to operate is kind of you know it's a it's it's where I would like to go with it. You know, get some get some use out of this thing and have it actually operate like a real Certainly. railroad. Yeah, it's 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 working on or operating on layouts that are finished or are somewhat finished. Uh, is really inspiring to get my button gear working on my own layout. Very cool. Tom, this is Mike. Hello, Mike. I wanted to ask Dave a question because Dave and me had a conversation about LCC, and I know that the two of us have, while we <laughs> both embrace the idea, we've had to kind of um, take a step back to try and get it to work. Certainly. And I just wanted to hear what uh, what Dave has been doing with that. I took Stuart Baker's advice from the last time he was on. If you need something that's operational today, LCC is not quite it yet. Although I do have some hardware, I have been futzing around with it. Um, I'm working on an isolated section of the layout that's going to be um, ABS signaling, which sort of exists outside of any remote control. It's a prime candidate to have a standalone loco net with uh, a few loco net control points. And um, it'll basically be a standalone signaling system, and that's that's what I've been uh, wiring up to my uh, track as I've been laying it this time. Um, so yeah, it's I, I'm 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 just as optimistic about LCC as I was before. And frankly, you know, if I build chunks of the layout that work on a loco net or some uh, you know free socks or Arduinos, LCC is platform agnostic and is going to be able to translate. Um, if I ever do want to bring remote control into the local net section of the layout, I can certainly do that. Um, I'm hoping by the time I get to some of my bigger interlockings that uh, I'll be able to use nodes for those. But uh, time will tell. Yeah, but, uh, and that's like what I, I said, was doing as well, and and that's why I yeah. wanted to hear what you were doing. So I need it, you know. Like I said, I want to have people over operating here, so they need signals to look at. And uh, as much as I am behind LCC, and I am completely behind it, it's uh, you know, well, look at the prototype. They buy from whoever, whatever signal supplier provides the the product they want at the moment, and uh, they make it work uh, at the fringe areas. That's what I plan to do. That's how you get paid, right? That's my understanding. No, well, yes, yes, it is. That's the day job, I, right? I, Tying in microprocessor processor interlockings to to equipment from 1930 is something I really really enjoy. <laughs> Very good. Yes. Yes. Well, one day I'm going to make it over to the East Coast. In fact, apparently it's 2017. I think I was booked for a New Jersey division talk. So when I get over to your part of the world, though, Brazza, I'm really looking forward to seeing your layout. Let me know. It will probably be. Uh, yeah, it'll be. That's a good goal. That's that's another milestone I can work towards. Definitely. And Ron Kleist, there's no strong arming involved. I'm more than happy to come over to your part of the world. I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, he might he might uh, ask you to lift some heavy things for him. Yes, I'm I'm a pack horse <laughs> in that light. Speaking of Ron Kleist, as we know he's on. Do you have audio, Ron Kleist? How you doing, guys? Ron Kleist. So in terms of your model railroading update. You seem to be teasing us now with uh, the potential of garden layouts. I'm not really sure how this worked out because originally we were teasing you about it. What's going on with your model railroading hobby? Well, there's definitely no garden rail uh, layouts right now. Uh, I've been getting ready for a, my first open house, which is mm. going to be October 1st. Cool. And uh, yeah, it's going to be for the local uh, division uh, of the Garden State NMRA for the fall meet. 
And the guys were asking me at the last one, and uh, speaking of strong arming, they strong armed me into it. <laughs> and uh, I was more than welcome, you know, happy to do it because uh, that's, that's why I'm building the layout. I want to share it with other people and, and check it out. Um, so I've been working like crazy, adding sidings and and tweaking some spots where the track wasn't exactly right, and you know, just trying to get it so that you know people can come in, take a look, look at it, take pictures, and get an idea of what you know what I'm trying to accomplish with it. So in terms of your layout for operating purposes. Do you have, like, particular points? I mean, obviously, there's the kind of lower docklands, narrow-gauge component. I mean, I can divide it up in my own mind into three operatable sections. Is that the way that you're looking at it as well? Or do you envisage maybe six people operating on your layout? Uh, I, the way I see it, just because of room, I, I'm probably seeing three to four people, mm-hmm. max. Uh, four people, max, just because it would get pretty tight in there. Uh, maybe if I stick somebody back in, in the staging area and they mm. can maybe build trains or something like that, so, maybe you know, I could squeeze another person in there because there's room back there. So what's your thinking but, uh, of the division? I mean, was I pretty close associated with the, div- the division? Or yeah, do you I got, see it slightly I have, differently? yeah, I have three main towns in the standard gauge side, and one of those towns would be the transfer yard between the narrow gauge and the standard gauge. And then when the, sta- uh, the narrow gauge makes its way up the mountain, there's three small industries up there, which would be a, uh, a cattle area or actually just livestock and a mine and a, a logging. So then I could drop off different cars for the narrow gauge on the top of the mountain and work them back down the mountain to the, uh, the transfer yard and then feed it to the rest of the world and the other two towns that are on the layout too. Very cool. Very cool. So do you think you're going to be ready for that by uh, October? Is that pretty challenging? I mean, uh, I understand. Do you have all the track in currently, or is there still some track missing? There's some small track right now. I mean, I got the majority of, of the standard gauge. I always had the turnouts down and in into my sidings and stuff, but I never actually built the spurs out because I wasn't exactly sure how the buildings were going to lay out. So I just said, ah, what the heck? I just, I'll just start throwing the boards down and, and put the subroad bed down. I started gluing down a lot of the ties. And uh, if I end up changing my mind of the shape of the building, I just rip it up and do it again it's not that big a deal <laughs> very cool very cool ah, yeah well, speaking I'm... of operations i so, i actually got um i got rachel at her first operating session at uh tom piccarilla's layout and she really enjoyed it she went to go every week i said he doesn't have an operating session every week you gotta calm down <laughs> <laughs> is it monthly how frequently is it uh it's usually twice a month oh okay cool cool but uh, between her and Aiden, I think they're going to have to arm wrestle or thumb wrestle or something to see who wants to go. Because now he, you know, the little sibling rivalry, you know, they want he he wants to go, she wants to go, and I could probably only handle one at a time. Actually, if I, if I maybe I bring both of them, I could team them both up, and they'll do better than I do. That's my, that seems to be that was exactly my thinking actually, Ron Class. That this sounds to be yeah, this sounds <laughs> like the kind of thing where uh, get them working together. Yep, I'll just stay out of the way, and then they they can do all the, the work. I'll just so enjoy the donuts and the coffee. Very cool. Very cool. As you should. So three people operating, you've, you've got a, your own operating crew right there for your own layout. Too. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, they, they're both good. Uh, now that I got the track in, I was, you know, telling Aiden cause he really enjoyed it. And now that Rachel's been exposed to the mm. top operating, um, I could actually have a, an operating session with just the three of us and kind of work out the kinks. So I think the hardest part is going to be filling out all the card cards. Oh, yes. I was just looking into uh, getting some custom decals made. I heard Bill Brillinger on the, one of the uh, Modeler's Life podcasts. Yep. 
And I got interested in uh, his custom decals. So I just emailed him actually earlier when you were talking with uh, Mikado Otter. And uh, hopefully I'll get back and get some decals done because I got to start lettering some of these unlettered freight cars that I've been building forever. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. He's got his fingers in every part of the hobby, that Bill Brillinger. It's pretty impressive yeah, the stuff he stuff. comes up with. Yeah. So historically, I guess people would buy stenciling. Um, they're not even stencils, like they, where you could get all the various letters, but he will actually do like custom custom blocks of letters for you and things like that. Yeah, um, instead of sitting there meticulously spelling out Mine Mountain Seaside Railroad with each individual letter, I'm hoping that he could print them out. And I also have my Railroad Herald that uh, my graphic friend, you know, graphics designer friend did for me. So uh, I'd like to get that on, you know, maybe some of the cabooses and and maybe a passenger car or something like or the side of a tender or something like that. That would be very nice. Very good. I'm I'm eager to see what what he's going to come up with. I sent him the, the, the... pdf files for it so see what see what happens i have and then uh i was at ted delorio's house a couple days ago picking up a kit a a nice gallows turntable that i'm going to end up building and uh he said oh you're you're going to be open open house for the uh garden state rpm meet too i said uh i I am i guess i am then okay (laughs) so now (laughs) within within one month of each i'm going to have my first two open houses ever so got a lot of work ahead very good. Do you have the refrigerator stocked? Uh, I well, I've been drinking some of the beers out of there, but it'll have it'll have some water and I'll have have some stuff there. From my understanding, I was asking uh, some guys and opinions about the uh, etiquette of open houses. If it's an operating session, you can have food and uh. drinks and all kinds of stuff. So open houses, people are just going to be coming in and out and taking pictures and moving on to the next layout. Because so, I think there's about four or five other layouts that are going to be open too. So yeah. I'll probably just have some basic. You know, chips or something like that, and some bottled water. If they you know, cool. send them Very on cool. their way. So, in terms of feedback and things like this, I mean, this gives a unique opportunity for you to have a number of folk through and get particular pointers. Are there certain areas of your layout that you're looking for? You're still soliciting feedback on, or are you pretty confident with most of it? No, no, I'm always open for uh, for feedback. I have no problem admitting that you know <laughs> I need help and you know some ideas of either industries. You know, scenery ideas, anything. I, I, I'm open for all that. And if somebody comes in there and comes up with a, an amazing idea for a layout, and I have to completely rip down my layout and start over because it was just that good. Hey, I'm up for that too. Why not? Very good. Yeah, take a, take a page <laughs> out of Mike Deverell and uh, Lionel Strang's book, and yeah, Marty McGurk. I'll just rip half exactly. my layout down. <laughs> yeah. Well, Marty was only a single level, right? It wasn't the full layout, so but yeah. uh, he came close, halfway. Let's say halfway. Very cool, Ron Class, and I'm also looking forward to meeting you and potentially seeing your layout when I'm on location in your part of the world. Uh, maybe next year, maybe the year after. I can't recall when uh, when Jim pegged me down for, but uh, I'll certainly be there. Looking forward to it. And it sounds like you'll have all the kinks signed out and everything will be perfect, and I'll be able to look at your beautifully built boats and various other things. So looking forward. Uh, to that. I'll be running like a Swiss watch, I'm sure. It will. It will. Thanks for calling in, Ron. <laughs> I'll be missing of- a couple of gears. Yeah, we'll find them. We'll find them, I'm sure. In terms of topics, anything that's come up that's piqued your interest recently? Any topic you want to throw out there for the assembled group of folk that we have on? I always enjoy the structure talks and stuff that, like, mm. um, and you know, I'm, I'm big into scenery and structures. That's what my layout is mainly about. And of course, I do have some operating on there. Uh, but any kind of scenery, I mean, if we could get Dave Ferrari on here again or 
don't if know, we could get Dave Freire on here again. He <laughs> celebrated a birthday recently and he promised me that he'd call in. Yeah, I need to. The trick is actually recording the shows at about 4 p.m. your time and having the shows yeah. just a little bit earlier because he has like a sweet spot where he can certainly call in. Yeah, I'd love to have Dave Ferrari back on. I mean, any time with Dave is time well spent. So I'll see what I can do, Ron Class. I'll see what I can do. All right, great. I appreciate that. Pleasure talking as always. Please do stay on the line. Pass on my regards to the family as well. I've clothed them and I will probably clothe them in the future again. It's always <laughs> great to see them on Facebook too. So pass on my regards. Yeah, Aiden still wears his shirt to school sometimes. Rachel, Terrific. I think, grew out of hers a little bit, but handed it down to her to him. Very cool. Very cool. Tom. Pleasure chatting as always, Ron. I'd like to welcome okay. back to Dave Falkenberg. Dave, every time you call in, or at least in recent times, I never have an opportunity to talk to you about that barge that you built. What's been going on associated with your aquamarine railroading? Well, most of this summer has been spent... Working <laughs> and not on railroading. Fancy that. So, yeah, you know how that works. Yes. Um, so I am about to try and determine what projects I'm actually going to work on this fall in the, mm. in the little bit of post-product launch um, <laughs> time that I have. Yes. Um, I actually, probably October, I hope to have a little bit more time. So it's, you know, focus. Focus is not my strong point. Um, as many railroaders and engineers and folks are know full well. Um, so the goal is, is to try to get the, um, the dock planted on a four foot by one foot module mm. so that I can actually, uh, begin, begin scenicing. Um, right now I, I, I basically have been dry fitting everything together mm -hmm. for the dock and the fact that I, have kind of been packing and unpacking it and packing and unpacking it. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it just, it just destroys any sort of momentum. And then, then, then usually, uh, usually around May work goes crazy for, oh, a couple months. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I haven't had, hadn't had as much progress as I've wanted to have. Um, I have been spending a lot more time kind of operating at other people's layouts. Oh, very cool. Um, which ones I had, in particular? So uh, a guy in our club, uh, Ray Turner, has a cool garden railroad um, that he started about 10 years ago. Cool. And um, he started it out as a roundy round and then got bitten by the ops bug. Uh -huh. And he completely reconfigured his layout. And now he has a really awesome uh, operating G-scale layout. Um, so Murph myself, a mm -hmm. couple other SVLers, a couple other round robiners um, had the chance to go up there and operate. I think I posted a picture oh, yeah. Yeah. maybe about a month ago. Yeah, most so of it well. So, yeah, yeah you, both, what, you both covered it. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's actually kind of fun. The uh, literally walking your train or uh, it, it has a distinct feeling when you're driving your train 30 or 40 feet uh, down in, in the outside air, mm. um, and the, the, the cars and the engines have a lot of heft. Oh yeah. Um, it feels like you're actually doing a little bit more work. Um, so despite the fact that, you know, you're the, the, the train might leave one town 
go work another town, go work another town. Um, the distances you're actually walking are much larger than you certainly. might on an HO scale layout or certainly, certainly in an N scale layout. So, um, yeah, it was very cool. Um, the whole layout is done with radio control. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it was very interesting. Um, the idea when your trains are literally 12 feet long, having a two-man crew makes a lot more sense because there's someone who's throwing switches. Certainly. And there's someone who's literally walking to the point where we need to break the train or, or do all that stuff. Um, it, switching in a garden railroad, it's, it's not like, you know, he's in the Bay Area, so there's not a ton of dirt. Mm. Um, so you still have to compress layout, mm. compress the layout. But uh, it's no more compressed than an HO layout in his case. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. It, it was a lot of fun. Oh, Hoping yeah. to get up there in another couple of weeks, we're going to try to do a night operations Ooh, with uh, with headlamps and all that. Very cool. So, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Um, trying to deal with yet another Rail Marine project at, at Silicon Valley Lines as well. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think it was kind of funny as I was head first into this N-scale project. Um, one of the other guys heard that I liked car floats and sold me on the idea of completely redoing a big area of Silicon Valley lines. Mm. Um, and so that area where I think you saw me put a bridge in, certainly we've taken the, we've taken the bridge out again. Uh-huh. <laughs> we've ripped up all the track. Pretty good. Um, and, uh, putting in a car float and putting in a pier and, uh, and then while we were at rip, while we were at it, ripping that all up, uh, Murph has, decided he's going to help by uh, realigning the yard throat. So I'd posted on the Silicon Valley Alliance Facebook page yesterday mm-hmm. a picture of this giant kind of curved turnout setup mm-hmm. that we're doing that's about five feet long. Certainly. So it's, uh, yeah, like I said, focus is not my strength. <laughs> yes. Well, you have a lot of things that are distracting you. I'd like to point oh, yeah. out that um, somewhat unfortunately, even my wife pointed out that you've become uh, a bit of a whipping boy in recent weeks, and uh, I'm not sure whether I let the oh, cat yeah. out of the bag or uh, whether other people knew, but um, just leave Dave Falkenberg alone, people. Let him go oh, and okay. do his job. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was up till 1am on Friday, but we got our phones. So Okay. That. Well, that's, gr- that's good. That's <laughs> anyway. good. Pleasure chatting as always. It sounds like you're out and about somewhere, so I'll let you get I back am, to what you're I am doing. actually multitasking. I'm getting some steps, so very cool. You know, all very right. Cool. Talk to you soon, Dave. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. I'd like to welcome on Todd Herman. Todd, as this is your first time calling into Model Rail Radio, would you like to introduce your Model Rail Rating interests? Sure. Thanks for having me on. A long-time listener, uh, first time on the show. Very cool. Uh, yeah. No, it's uh, it's cool. You added a lot to my hobby by listening in, so I uh, figured I'd give back a bit and actually participate for once. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, model Nature Scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, have a layout in the basement that I'm working on, which... Uh, features the Lehigh and New England Railroad, which was a small regional line that uh, operated uh, between the kind of anthracite coal and cement producing Mm. area of Pennsylvania. Interesting. uh, Yeah, up towards uh, New England. Uh, And uh, while not didn't make it to New England, they would go as far as uh, Maybrook, New York, where they'd interchange with the the New Haven. But uh, 
my layout uh, features uh, just a small, really small por- portion of it. It's just a very portion of a branch line, really. Uh, okay. So it's kind of a terminal. Features a lot of interchange, but that's mm-hmm. that's what I'm doing. And in terms of industries and stuff, what kind of industries are on your layout? Uh, the main industry actually is interchange because ah, the the okay. branch the, the branch that I model is the Catasauqua branch, which is a Catasauqua is a small town mm-hmm. just north of uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania. And that was kind of the the LNE's gateway to the cement region. And the Lehigh New England was one of the big cement uh, haulers. Oh yeah, bulk cement. So it's weird that the the layout's traffic is really built around the idea of bringing in the commodities that are needed to make cement, like coal and shipping out bulk cement. But there's not actually a cement plant on the layout. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or they're not yet. I mean, there may okay. be at some point if I as I expand it, but. You know, I don't know. I just was kind of captivated by this one location. It's kind of a neat, neat spot where the the railroad crosses several other railroads that I'm also really interested in, like the Jersey Central and mm-hmm. Lehigh Valley. Totally. Crosses them at crosses them at grade with towers and semaphores and stuff controlling it. So there's a lot of neat elements there. Uh, so the idea is trying to model that as faithfully as I can with as little compression as possible. Of course, there's always going to be some of that. You know, there's no mm. way around that. But. So that's my next question. How big is your basement loud? Uh, it's a tough question. It's a I, 16 by 24 is what I, okay, cool. what I say. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of an odd space. Those ceilings are a little lower than I'd like. I'm about oh, six, yeah. two and a, six, two and a half. I know that. Uh, feeling. Yeah, yeah. So, but, uh, you know, it, it works out. Okay. I, I spent quite a bit of time finishing it, finishing the space, cool. uh, to, to, you know, put a ceiling up and things like that, which, you know, kind of cuts down on your headroom even Certainly. more, but I, I felt like it was worth it to. Uh, keep the dust out and whatnot. So the track's pretty much in for most of it. Uh, control system is a DCC, so that's going mm-hmm. in as well. And I'm just starting to think about getting the scenery going. So uh, that's where that's where it's at. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So do you plan on having operating sessions? Do you actually have folks that come around, or are you a lone wolf modeler so far? Well, it, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, and most of the folks that I know uh, who are into model railroading are still up there. Okay. Uh, they, uh, they, some of those guys have actually contributed a bit to this layout. They've uh, built a few things for me and cool. stuff like that. That's really but, cool. Uh, but around here, uh, yeah, I, I suppose I'm more in the lone wolf. Okay. Category, you, but I, to, I would I wouldn't mind doing it at some point. That'd be great. Are you willing to disclose your location with the view that we have listeners probably where you are? Yeah, sure. I'm in Falls Church, Virginia. Oh, okay. Gosh, I'm sure we've got a bunch of listeners around your part of the world. So yeah, there are some. Uh, uh, you know, there's the, the, the Northern Virginia is pretty good. Uh, pretty good area. You know, I've certainly a number of folks around. And I've attended a few NMRA related events around here, and the uh, Mid Atlantic Prototype Modelers Meet is another one that I go to, mm-hmm. where I've gone to a couple of years in a row now. Terrific. So you you meet a few folks uh, through that. Uh, so, but I mean, mostly I'm just trying to keep my head down and work on the layout and make some progress on it amidst all the family stuff and all the other demands of time. But uh, that's, that's kind of been my goal of, you know, the last couple of years, it's, I'm probably a couple of years into it. I, uh, what I'm learning is that I'm a really, really slow worker on the layout. Mm. <laughs> I like the process, but it just mm-hmm. takes me, you know, just these things take time, right? Certainly. Certainly. So, and in terms of topics of interest, you mentioned you're a long time listener. Are there any topics that we could cover anything that you know, piques your interest currently that you might want to raise now you're on the call? 
Uh, you know, one thing I've always really appreciated about this call uh, or about this uh, the show is the the, the emphasis on uh, uh, kind of the more of the leading edge stuff, computerization. Mm-hmm. Uh, Certainly. The, the, when I first started to listen to this, and I don't even remember when this was, was right. I think it was right about when uh, some callers were talking about uh, the Launchpad and Arduino stuff. Oh, yeah. Certainly. You know, which I – which I hadn't, you know, hadn't really considered at all. And that one of the neat things is to kind of have your eyes open to some of these other areas that you, you know, can consider as you move forward and developing your, your your layout and your interests. So mm. I always love hearing about that stuff, the things that I've never heard of before. You know, I know some people may, might go, I want to talk about things I'm familiar with. But for me, yeah, it's cool. You know, the live steam, same kind of thing. I've never done it. Probably never will. But it's always neat to hear about that stuff. And I never say never. But yeah, yeah, find true. a way of finding you. <laughs> True enough. For those in the chat, I just put up a little link to a Flickr album of some photographs of the layout. To, if anyone cool. wants to take a look at that at some point, they're welcome to do it. Uh, yeah, I'm. You know, it, it, it's uh, it, it's just it's a fun journey. You know, I've been doing the the model train thing for for a really long time. And uh, wow, I'm I'm seeing just the front photo, but it gives a sense of the space and also what you're trying to achieve. I mean, when you say that you're not doing any compression or you're trying to avoid compression. That's certainly what I see with this layout. Well, hats off to you. No, thanks. Yeah, that's that that's that kind of title page, I guess you call it scene there is one of the neatest neatest things about the the area which is that the uh, Lehigh New England crosses in that scene the Lehigh Valley on this curved crossing Absolutely. of a four track main line yes. uh, which is just really really neat. And that was actually one of the things that a, a friend of mine, a guy I used to work for at a hobby shop, actually up in Pennsylvania, made for me. He he's m- far more skilled in hand laying than I am, and he uh, and he and some other friends of mine put that together for me. Uh, and that you know helped get kind of kickstart the whole project when I realized that that was doable. Very cool, very cool. Yeah. Well, welcome to the community, Todd. In terms of calling in for your first time, are you um, on the Facebook group? I am, yeah. I'm a lurker, I guess you could say. I'm not, I'm not well, super active on Facebook. stop being a lurker. Stop being a lurker. Post some of these photos. I know you have a Flickr account, but take some of your choice photos and post them to the Facebook group because I think this kind of uh, this kind of modelling always gets people interested on the Facebook group, and uh, I'd like to see more of your work, Todd. All right. Well, I will do that. I'll uh, maybe I'll just start going forward. I'll put some th- stuff up for what I'm working on right now. But uh, yeah, why not? I'm. I don't Terrific. know. It's a uh, Putting myself out there, but uh, it's, oh, it's always fun to do it and get people's feedback, so I welcome it. If you're in the northern part of Virginia, you're very close to a number of folks. I mean, you're relatively close to D.C., I'm assuming. Yeah, about six miles from D.C. <laughs> very good. We've got a few <laughs> listeners in that part of the world, so I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll be able to work out, uh, yeah, work at something out. And uh, you may have some folks operating on your layout sooner than you think, so well, I brace guess yourself. I, I, yeah, that's that's cool. Anyone is welcome to uh, get in touch and uh, and and come have a look at it with their their own eyes. That'd be that'd be fine. Terrific. Well, thank you very much for calling in, Todd. Now you've found out how easy it is to call in. Please become a regular and call in more frequently because I'm interested in hearing updates associated with you building this interesting layout. Well, yeah, thanks. As long as I can keep the kids busy while I'm on the call, it's uh, it's all very good. Well, let me tell you. I'll let you get back to it, Todd, but if you want to jump back in, please let me know. And, uh, yeah, more than welcome to jump in for the remainder of the call. So, great chatting. Uh, you, thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. I'd like to work on Matt Trump. Matt? As this is your first time calling into Model Rail Radio, would you like to introduce your model railroading interests? I live in Australia and I live in Victoria, so I've modelled the Victorian Railroad. 
um, loosely based from sort of 1992. It was originally current time, but I've kind of t- tried to stop at 2010. Okay. And um, my layout's just in a bedroom, and I've sort of started it this year after moving house. So first time I've had a kind of permanent layout as such. Were you a collector up until this point? I mean, obviously, in terms of the stuff that you're modelling, there have been quite a number of interesting offerings that have come out in the past 10 years. Have you been, like, collecting over this period of time, or have you really just started collecting Victorian stuff, like now you have the lab? Yeah, no, I'd say I've been a collector. I sort of got into it probably 12 years ago. Started off just sort of collecting all the ready-to-run Mm-hmm. items mostly locomotives and things like that is kind of tends to be the the way things go when you first sort of start out but then moved in towards um building up a few kits and things Very like cool. that um just to to upskill a little bit definitely um I, and there's yeah. quite a few kits available currently i mean for folks listening in it's hard to i mean in the u.s obviously u.s prototypes are so pervasive in the hobby but before, for folks listening in who want to start visualising what Victorian looks like, what kind of locomotives can people think of that are kind of similar to the stuff that runs in Victoria? I don't know. It's a, <laughs> um, they're a lot a lot smaller than anything in the US. Um, I, I, I attend um, a collection of friends of the Thursday nighters because we go up every Thursday night and um, the people up there are into everything and we've we've been running some american um locos recently like a the big boy around the layout and it's it's clipping the edge of the tunnel because the tunnel was built for sort of the the australian locomotives um and then they're just that much bigger i'm i'm not I'm not overly familiar with with the American well, locomotives if, if, that I'm. If sorry. folks have Google up currently, can you describe some of the locomotives that you model, and maybe folks can Google them as they're listening in? Yeah, all right. Um, probably the the A class um, mm-hmm. is is sort of one of the the primary primary locos that that I model, and the T class. So um, um, might be able to sort of. Google up some links. I can put in a link to my um. I've I've started a small blog, so I can, I can put up a link to that on the page too. Is it an audio medium? What's what's your layout called? Can people Google the blog, perhaps? Yeah, um, it's twenty first century blue, blue and gold. Terrific. So, in terms of modelling Victorian, are you modelling passenger service or just industry? It's a passenger service, probably at the moment. I haven't really narrowed it down that much. I think listening started listening to um, the podcast fairly recently and I think I'm finding that if I sort of narrow down what I'm sort of tighten up what I'm looking for, um, it might make my layout a bit more, have a bit more direction and a bit more interest. Mm-hmm. So are you modeling a particular prototype or are you freelancing? Um, it's, it's based loosely on, um, a station near where I grew up. Um, but then I've sort of modified the, the track plan around to suit what I, what I think would be better, um, if I sort of ran the railways. Um, so it's a bit of a hybrid of, mm-hmm. of the sort of the historical changes that have been made in that, that sort of area. Certainly. Um, 
yeah, so it's loosely based on, on Clarkfield in Victoria, which was a, a, a junction point of the Bendigo, Bendigo line. So lots of potential for eucalypt modelling and some open spaces, basically. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So in terms of the area, you've mentioned that you have a, a Thursday night group and they tend to model a variety of different things. Are there mm-hmm. folks in your area who are modelling close to you, what you're interested in modelling or is it really completely diverse? Um, I'd say the primary focus is, is VR, but then we've got a bloke from England, so mm-hmm. he, he models British stuff. Um, um, and, yeah, there's, there is a couple of guys who have sort of a, a secondary interest in American models. Very cool. Very cool. And in terms of VR, obviously there have been a number of ready-to-run releases recently, but historically, I mean, if you started 12 years ago, you really are in the golden age in terms of ready-to-run stuff being available. For the folks yes. that you know who have had layouts for longer, I mean, how how much stuff are they building themselves still, or is everyone just converted to the ready-to-run? It sort of varies on, varies on the person. I suppose there, there was a lot more um, available earlier in brass, so, so there's a little bit of... of brass ready to run stuff going around but yeah most of most of my friends are probably probably ready to run except for the guy who who um models in o-gauge and he he scratch builds pretty much everything wow yeah yeah o-gauge vr that gives a lot of really interesting possibilities Uh, i think yeah he models the the rio grand southern so oh okay that's a bit easier yeah 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 well, Matt, it's interesting that you call Lynn now. My father actually is currently based in Hong Kong, but he's moving to Melbourne, and I think he'll be there from mid-next year. So my anticipation okay. is that I'm going to be spending some quality time in Melbourne over the next two, three years. I have a few family members there, but most of our Australian listeners are actually, aside from the South Australian crew and the folks in New South Wales, but most of the quality Australian listeners are actually based in Victoria, and we have a number of yep. listeners in your area. So um, I'll certainly be around within the next uh, two, three years. And it sounds like your layout is in a situation where, you know, it's probably a good time frame for you to, uh, for you to get something together. In terms of the bedroom space, yep. an Australian bedroom is very similar to a Californian bedroom in terms of space. <laughs> what kind of area do you have available for your layout? Um, it's three and a half metres, probably square, which I, I guess is around sort of 12 to 15 foot square mm-hmm. and yeah sort of taking up all of that and i'm hoping to to extend through the wall to do an extra turn back mm. um but yeah the uh <laughs> i'm getting married next week and we'll, we'll see yeah, everything <laughs> we'll see changes everything there. changes all plans for the layout probably put on hold so all the best with that matt and uh yeah, we, we will we will try to continue to remain the bad influence friends to try to continue <laughs> this uh, layout possibility. But yes, well, congratulations on that front. Um, but you. yeah, all the best with the continued layout. Now you are on the Facebook group, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Yes, um, so, I, so, I put a I put a call out because I'm heading to the US in uh, sorry Tuesday next week. So um, just if anyone had any. Any places to suggest what part of the to go US to? Are you going to? Um, we're doing flying in the east coast, so LA, Vegas, and San Fran, and then across to the west coast for um, Philadelphia, Dover, 
Washington, then New York, and then right. Hawaii, and then home. Wow. You you yeah. inverted east and west. That doesn't matter. Only the Americans. <laughs> let, me, let me point out that we have a number of folk who are based both on the East Coast and the West Coast. I'm based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, the Dover area, we've had a long-standing listener, and there are, I think, two or three quite reasonable clubs that are all open to the general public in Dover. My okay. advice would be that Google is your friend, particularly associated with finding railroad clubs, and yep. um, most of them are open. Well, for example, our local one, Silicon Valley Lines, is open Friday nights, and although... Technically, it's publicly open less than every Friday night. If you turned up on a Friday night, you could probably see the out, no problem. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, I think Google is your friend here. Um, have you gotten any response from the Facebook group associated with places to see and go? Yeah, I had a couple of links put up to because um, in, in Australia, the Australian Model Magazine um, puts out like a diary of mm -hmm. exhibitions and things like that. Certainly. So I've got a couple of links to other magazines to look at for, to, cool. to research that sort of stuff. Interesting. Yeah, we have a number of listeners in the parts of the world that you are going to. And certainly if you can check out, there's a layout called, uh, there's a club called Del Mar Var, which has a mm -hmm. long-standing history with model rail radio. And that is the one that's in the Dover area. Um, okay. So we'll certainly put in a good word and... Uh, Tell Jeff that we sent you when you arrived there, because right. Jeff is like the everything at the Del Mar Bar Club. Um, I can probably actually provide you those details, because I get their monthly newsletter, as do many mm -hmm. of our listeners. <laughs> um, so I can certainly recommend that one. Um, and yeah, in the Bay Area, uh, there is a club in Santa... I'm not sure how much of the... Whether you're just going to San Francisco or the length of time that you have here, specifically. But yep. there's certainly a public uh, club in... Santa Clara that is open every Saturday. You're welcome to come by Silicon Valley Lines. In fact, I'm just, we had on Dave Falkenberg and we will have on, let me just, if you can just give me a second here, let me add yeah. on Rich Murphy and we'll uh, invite you officially. I'd like to walk back a Rich Murphy. Murph, you, you call perfectly. We have on Matt Tram, who is going to be in the Bay Area. Is it next week, Matt? Uh, week yes. After? Next week. Um, oh. It'll be, ne yeah, next week. Next Sorry, Friday, Tuesday week. Potentially? Tuesday week, okay. Yeah. But not for a Friday. Um, well, I think I'll have to look at the itinerary. Okay. We might be there on a Friday. I've yeah. just given him an open invitation to Silicon Valley Line, Murph, as anyone who's <laughs> going to be in this The more Australians on Silicon Valley Line, the better. That's my <laughs> general philosophy, and I've welcomed all that. He's going to be on Tuesday? Yeah, we could even organise something for you. I you know... know I, I might be able to get you a rogue uh, ops invite um, Tuesday. I go over to uh, Griffey's, David Griffey's house mm -hmm. for an ops session in his garage. Okay. It's a it's a small layout, but it's actually really a lot of fun. Okay, that that'd be good. So I'll so connect you to via Facebook, and we'll take yes, it. Yes, that me. would be great. <laughs> yeah, very good. Yeah. Always easy. Matt, right. thank you for Thanks, calling Tom. in for the first time, and um, all the best with your travels through the US and your wedding, and maybe, I don't think I'll be able to get to a Tuesday uh, op session, but uh, enjoy your time in the Bay Area. I'll try to mm -hmm. hook you up with as many folk in this part of the world as possible, and please, yeah, please post on the Facebook group, and please call back once you're back from your from your travel. Will do. Thank you very much. Thank you.
always a pleasure to have you on. We've had a brief update from Dave Falkenberg associated with uh, some, uh, what would one call it, aquatic aquatic adventures, um, rail marine stuff that is going on with Silicon Valley Lines currently. But from from Uh, my perspective, what has been going on with Silicon Valley Lines recently? Wow. Okay. Well, as as Dave has probably told you, we're trying to finish the... uh, the entryway to the Bayshore Yard, and uh, in doing that, we decided we have a couple members with fairly uh, big articulateds that when you try coming out of the yard one way, uh, they get a little bit cranked up because uh, there's some kind of uh, really sharp curves. Mm-hmm. So Dave and I started working on some custom turnouts to uh, ease the the, the uh, curvature there. Um, Let's see. On the other side, uh, John Donovan's been doing a heck of a lot of work up in Tracy, mm-hmm. which has been really kind of fun to watch. Uh, Bernard and uh, Jeff have been working on Hallelujah area, mm. where the uh, paper mill is really beginning. It's a fun switching job, and cool. that's a, that's pretty cool. Um, Jeff's cannery area is really looking outstanding. Um, on the lower level... Uh, we've got Gotham Springs, and mm-hmm. Josh has really been starting to work on that. And uh, we have a little mixed combine uh, that goes from there all the way out to into Bayshore. So you, you run a dark territory for a long ways, and you go through some beautifully scenic areas from uh, Mark Fisher. Um, and uh, it's it's really kind of coming around, having a great time with it. Uh, we've been working on tuning up our cars. We have uh, Andy Sammons, who's been helping us out with uh, doing a lot of car inspection and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a new haunted, haunted house going in up near Ravine, uh, just as kind of a novelty kind of Very thing. Very seasonal. Very seasonal. Yes, I think so. <laughs> um, so there's there's a whole lot going on. I, I probably missed something, I imagine. But mm-hmm. um, we have our ops coming in at the end of the month. Our next open house will be in November. Terrific. Terrific. Yeah. And you're located in the same part of the world that I'm physically located, and we've been having all kinds of police and other activity in this area. How's the general feeling of safety in Silicon Valley Islands currently? Uh, Did Dave tell you about the experience, I think it was about a month ago, where somebody was trying to steal a car? Yes. And... uh, they nearly front-ended me. They tried ditching into the uh, Silicon Valley Lines parking lot as I was exiting. There, we now have an exit gate. Mm. And uh, as I was going out, of course, the gate was open, and I think the guy tried to think he was going to become safe there. Um, so he quickly turned and parallel parked. I was really impressed with that. But then another car parked alongside of it, and all I could think of was, uh, if this is a gang thing, I don't want to be around here. And I kind of took off. Yes. Okay, I'm a scaredy cat. Fair um, enough. Scared discretion being the better part of valor, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yes, my understanding is I'm in regular communication with the city that most of the violence that's meted out with baseball bats relates to Pokemon Go. That's what the city's saying, at least. But yeah, the times have changed in our part of the world, and the bullets seem to be flowing rather freely. The prostitution, however, seems to have moved over. So anyway, interesting times to be in this part of the world. In terms of your home layout, have you got any updates, or have you been uh, focused on Silicon Valley Line since we last spoke? Well, you know, I've been kind of split between that. Um, I've all, we're also into the middle of wine season. Uh, yes. I'm going to pick up some... Uh, 
some Zinfandel grapes in Amador tomorrow. Uh, And we'll be bringing those back. Uh, We did some barrelings and bottlings and things like that. Every time that happens, it means that I kind of have to stow everything that's going on with uh, the layout and get ready. No painting. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it kind of hurts the painting thing. I really don't want chemicals in the air while I'm doing that, other than the chemicals I use for wine. Um, Hmm. I have gotten a little bit of work, though, done with John Plocker, who visited, and we figured out how to do the canyon area leaving into Caliente. Hmm. So I've I've done a little bit of scenicing there. And then Dave came over and uh, did some ballasting, and we started fitting for a bridge. And I've... uh, Kind of been doing a hot glue on the side of the roadbed thing for a ballasted deck bridge. That's starting to look pretty good. Very cool. Very cool. It's amazing to think, actually, that Jim Gifford has been traveling this entire time. Because the last time I was at your layout, which seems like a lifetime ago, was when Jim Gifford and Ros were here. And that was, like, what, three months ago now? And they've been traveling the entire time. He has more stamina. By this point, I would be... On the floor, weeping, I want to go home. I well, don't know how now. he does it, but boy, you know, just <laughs> hats off to him. And uh, I, I'm toasting to him right now with our brand Very new Barbera. Good. <laughs> Very good. Yes. Yeah, Jim Gifford and Roz being in town kind of forced, basically, Model <laughs> Rail Radio to come together for a few hectic days. It was quite an experience. It was a pleasure cooking a meal for you and your wife. That was one of the highlights through the experience for me. Obviously, that was really nice. <laughs> I, I I felt I had to. I, it's one of these difficult situations. In in normal circumstances, I would never attempt to try to organise what I organised on that day. But uh, Jim made a really strong plea that we all had to get together for at least an afternoon. And as the afternoon was free, I thought the least I could do is cook a meal. And I actually quite like cooking for people, so it was a pleasure to Thank come you. over and and cook a. A few steaks and uh, I think, what was it? Was it broccoli? We got, we got some broccoli because yeah. my wife, she's not a vegetarian. She's a broccolitarian. Very good. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. So, yes, my barbecuing chops were put. It was a what like an Iron Chef challenge. I think it, it was one of the early hot days for the year and it was a bit like an Iron Chef challenge out there. But I, I tried to do it in, in all fairness. So. Right. Great fun. And so, well, also then for anybody that's... Uh, Actually, with that, I, I've been playing a lot of WoW with the uh, new expansion coming out, so that's kind of detracted a little bit from my hobby Alas. time. Alas. <laughs> well, no old lead, though, so we'll move on from that. We'll move on. Yes. <laughs> Murph, pleasure as always. Keep doing what you're doing with Silicon Valley Alliance. I'll, I'll endeavor, maybe when the AK-47 fire cools down a little bit, I'll endeavor to get over <laughs> to your battle <laughs> and see more of Silicon Valley Alliance, but... Uh, while the gang fight continues, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll remain sa- bunkered. We have a Saturday Ops coming up, I think, next month, by oh, the way. Okay. okay. Let me know. Be a I'll see what I can great do. Great to see you then. I, I, will, I will ping you for that one. Daylight is always better. I think so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Anyway, pleasure chatting as always, Move, Please stay on the line. If something comes up, you know what to do. Okay, great. Talk to you later. to welcome back on Ralph Renzetti. Ralph, I was able to get you, I warned you that the video quality would not be good, 
And it was funny, actually, because that particular day when I was filming the locomotives, the second one, I think, had been cleaned, which was very curious. But I did get you a slice of the locomotives as I see them now from my... Well, it's not my work window. I had to... A co-worker was away at the time, so I was able to take his cube and take the video footage. But it doesn't really do it any justice, as you pointed out. The trees do block everything, but it does give a, some minor indication of the level of filth that these Union Pacific locomotives have attached to them. Oh, yeah. What's been going on with your model railroading hobby recently? Oh, there's a whole bunch of things. I'm, uh, I'm in the process of, well, it's not model railroading, but again... In in keeping with the last one, I'm doing another Volkswagen bus again. Mm. Um, this is a futuristic one, though, right? Yes. And I managed to actually get it to float. Very cool. Um, magnetic levitation, it's called. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been working on, as well as my layout a little bit. Ended up meeting uh, um, Mike Slater and Jim Rint down mm-hmm. in, and Jim Scores down in mm-hmm. uh, Indianapolis. You met Jim Gifford as at, well, didn't at, you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Jim Gifford was up here in Toronto. Yeah. So we, yeah. we took him around. We took him to uh, our home in miniature land, which is, is like the uh, the German wonderland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're just doing that. It's mostly all, it's all Canadian stuff, Canadian uh, points of interest. Um, where else did we go? We have down at, right down in uh, the center part of the town, we have the old roundhouse down there, which is our uh, Toronto Railroad Museum. So we managed to get a backstage tour of that. Very cool. And uh, we had a good time. Then we went uh, we went out to uh, to dinner or lunch or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. We had hot dogs at Costco. Very good. He had to he had to buy Lionel a Costco a Costco hot dog. So we did that. Yeah. And then we went to uh, Montana Steakhouse after that, yeah. like later on in the in the day. Wine so was consumed. Well. I'm assuming it was. It was. Very good. Very good. Except I, I had my Guinness. I'd rather have Guinness when I'm Fair out like that. Sure. Because it's not my wine. Now, I noticed Richard said something about uh, the only chemicals he wants in his wine are the, are the ones that he uses for his wine. I didn't know that anybody used chemicals to make wine. Well, my view is when you come to the Bay Area, I'm sure Murph will be willing, as he, as he does, without fault. You present actu- some of his. Sorry, Murph, continue. Yeah, you actually have to use some amount of sulfur and that kind of stuff. Mostly it's for cleaning. A lot of it's to make sure that bacteria don't start doing really bad jobs on your wine. Okay. Okay. And you want to keep it at a minimum because, you know what? Sulfur doesn't taste good. No, that's absolutely for sure. It certainly doesn't smell good. So, anyway, that's kind of the whole trick there. Okay. So, the, on- the only chemicals I use on mine is, is right at the end when. Uh, I, I take it in, have it tested, and they tell me whether it's uh, at its peak of fermentation, and, and we put a stopper in. That's it. Okay. Stops the fermentation. Right. Yeah. Well, but the alcohol content is, is way more than you can buy from any liquor store. Uh, that's mostly true with mine, too. Uh, as a hobbyist, uh, you have a tendency to get uh, grapes that are a little bit uh, sweeter than you would if you were a commercial winery. So that all converts. Okay. Do you grow your own grapes? No, I, I, I was brought up, my dad used to go out and buy the grapes from mm-hmm. one of the local uh, companies that had the spur come in the side where they brought the grapes from California. Mm-hmm. Ah, we, cool. 
take take them home, thirty six pound crates, mm-hmm. and crush them and let them sit. My job was to pick the vines out mm-hmm. and to turn to turn the crusher handle. Wonderful. Uh, eventually, we got it motorized, and now I I don't do any of that anymore. I just buy the juice already crushed, already okay. sieved, all the pulp and gone. That sort of thing. So I've taken that step out, which is a messy step to start with. Still Californian grapes, though. Uh, I believe they are. Interesting. They, they could, some of them could be Canadian as well. I'm not sure what they use where I get my grape juice. Uh-huh. But it's it's the real juice. It's not a concentrate. If I drink uh, wine made from concentrate, I get terrible headaches. Yes. You and, and Murph might have similar say that sources. Of all wine. What's that? <laughs> yes. You and Murph might actually have similar sources associated with these grapes. It's fascinating that on separate sides of the continent, you can uh, be making wine with probably similar sources. Interesting. Yep. Yeah, we're we're heading to Amador tomorrow, and uh, we're buying a, a ton of grapes. So literally, yes. <laughs> very good. <laughs> well, well, I only do it in batch, so very good. A pleasure having you on, Ralph. Thank you. And I think this is going to call a close to Model Rail Radio for this particular recording. Wonderful having new callers call in. Great catching up with a bunch of folks that only Model Rail Radio can bring together. Apologies for the past month. There is no peace in the gang war, unfortunately. But my endeavour is to record in two weeks' time in a UK-friendly time because... Our friends in the south of the UK, Simon Hill, Martin Coombs, have been to a very nice layout that featured on the Model Rail Radio Facebook group recently, and my hope is that they will call in with the layout owner to talk more about that particular layout. So I'm really looking forward to the next recording. Thanks to the folks for participating today. Thanks to the folks for listening in. Good evening. Good night, Tom. Good night, Tom. Good night, Tom. Good night, Tom.